Welcome to the Shepherd's Pie, a slice of hope to raise faithful kids, where we focus on topics that impact young people today. I'm Antony Barone Kolenk. I'm a father of five who served in the Air Force for 21 years. I'm now a law professor and a columnist for Practical Homeschooling Magazine. I'm also the author of The Harwood Mysteries, an inspirational medieval fiction series for kids aged 10 and up. Here on The Shepherd's Pie, we want to inform, inspire, and help you to raise happy, healthy, and faithful kids. Whether you're a grandparent, a youth minister, a Sunday school teacher, anyone. In today's episode, we'll be looking at how we can help teenagers learn to find common ground in the midst of conflict with those who have different views. My guest is Amanda Lauer, an award-winning author who has written a series of young adult novels set during the Civil War that explore the issue of finding common ground. And in the entertainment review segment of the show, I'll be reviewing the teen novel The Perfect Blindside by Leslie Wall. You know, sometimes we hear people talk about there being a new civil war in this country because we're so divided, especially when it comes to social issues and political parties. And the level of discourse in the nation does seem to have reached new lows with the inauguration of every new American president. Trying to teach our youth to find common ground in this environment is definitely a challenge, to say the least. The reality is, however, that less divides us than we might think. In fact, when I look back on the people in my life who have been memorable to me, I see that oftentimes they were people who had major differences than me on key issues. Some of my best friends, even today, are people who see the world through very different eyes than my own. In our interview segment today, I speak with Amanda Lauer, who has written this wonderful series of teen novels set during the Civil War, where the main characters literally are at conflict with each other on opposite sides of the war, North and South. Yet somehow, her characters are able to find common ground when they open their minds and their hearts to understand the other person. And we're going to talk about why it's so important for our youth today to follow the same model if our nation is ever going to find healing. I am with Amanda Lauer, who's an award-winning author of fiction for teens and young adults. She copy edits movie screenplays, and she's the co-writer of the movie The Islands, for which she received a 2020 Red Letter Award. She's also done acting, modeling, and she's published four books in her teen series, Heaven Intended. And her latest novel in that series, which was released in October, is called A Freedom Such as Heaven Intended. She and her husband, John, have been married for 40 years, and they have four grown children. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Tony. You have quite a background. I wish that I could interview you five times so we could talk about your movies and everything else that you're doing. But give our listeners just a little bit more insight into uh, who is Amanda Lauer. My background is in proofreading, actually. When I got out of school, my first career was proofreading. I did that for several years until my husband and I started our family. Took like a 15-year break to raise the four kids. 
And then I got back into it when our youngest started school. And from there, I just volunteered to start writing articles because I needed help. They needed stringers. Really found that I seemed to have a God-given talent for writing, which is kind of neat. I went out on my own and started freelancing as a writer, proofreader, copy editor. And I always had this dream to write a book. And I met a gentleman who told me that his wife was also writing a book and she had an agent in New York City. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And so he said, you should connect with her. And so we did. We connected. And basically, she said, I'm going to be writing a new book. If you want to start a book, let's just get together for coffee. This was around Thanksgiving time, probably back in 2009. And she said, let's just get together like the first Wednesday after the new year. And you bring me a chapter of your book. I'll bring you a chapter of my book. And we'll see what we can do from there. And right off the bat, it just started to fall into place. And so what we did for 24 months, so for two years, we got together once a month and traded a chapter of each of our books. And after two years, we each had a book. But yeah, we both ended up becoming authors. And I still write for newspapers and magazines. But it really is my passion is is writing novels. And I've branched off. I have a time travel book that came out earlier this year called Anything But Groovy. But the Civil War series has just been my baby since day one. I love it. That is amazing. Yeah, isn't it amazing how we wind up stumbling into writing uh, careers? So let me ask this. So you have the Civil War series, but you could have written it for any age group, uh, mm-hmm. but you chose to write this for a younger age group. Right. Why Why did you choose that group? For one thing, I feel like there's just a lack of good reading materials for young adults. And another, it's kind of coincidental because the main character is 17 years old, the female character in the first book, Amara. And oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to connect with these young readers. I can't believe how much they seem to love this story. They have a thirst to learn too, which is, that's how I've always been. So these are people after my own heart and I love working with young people anyhow. And it just, I don't know, it's just such a blessing to work with them. So your initial foray, you weren't intending it for youth, but your publisher says, okay, fine, they're for youth now. Did that impact how you went about writing the other ones now that you knew that they were being targeted? Absolutely, because my number one goal when I was writing the first book was to write a book that I wanted to read. And I I love historical fiction. I love historical love stories, but I couldn't find well-written love stories that were historical, that were clean romances. And that's really what struck me is I'm like, why isn't this genre out there? If it was out there, I'd listen to her. But so I'm like, I'm just going to make my own path and do this. But yeah, definitely as I went forward, I now I'm thinking, okay, if a 12-year-old reads this, how is this, you know, is this going to be, I don't want anything too violent. Even though it's set during wartime, we don't go into the nitty-gritty of the war because we're giving them the basic of the story. Basically, it's two people. Each of the stories has a similar plot line, and they all start on the same day, which is in the last week of May of 1864, and they go to the following year in May of 1865. So it's one year in the life of all these different couples, and they all have some connection to each other, but they don't all connect until like the very end of the series, basically. And I know writing historical fiction for me as a homeschooling family, that was part of my calculus was, hey, let's write historical fiction because not only will it be entertaining, but it also can help teach them history. Did you have any you know, indicator as you were doing this that you wanted to benefit uh, even your own kids or grandkids at this point? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Kids are learning history like in this day and age like we did as kids. Knowing what happened in the past can kind of help you look more objectively at what's happening nowadays. 
like say if someone's talking about socialism or something like that, if you hadn't studied socialism in, in centuries past, how how could you decide if it seems to be a good thing or not good thing? It's just like, I feel like kids are being underserved a little bit in the history department. My one problem with writing those is you don't want to make it seem like you're teaching people. You just want to weave it in. And even when I use even the, the vocabulary that I use, I'm challenging these kids. I want them to actually go, you know, look up what this word means or figure it out contextually. And I never thought I wanted to be a teacher, but I really feel like I've been teaching a lot through these books and the feedback has been great. Let me ask you about some of the feedback that you're getting from your young readers. I know from uh, reading a little in it myself that it is a pretty sophisticated vocabulary that you're using, as you mentioned. Uh, what what are they telling you, especially your younger readers, what are they telling you they like about the series? Lots of things. They like learning about American history. They like learning about the Civil War in particular, because there's a lot of news, even in this day and age, that kind of ties back to that era, whether it's, you know, removing Civil War statues or things like that. And to learn the significance, there's so many things in these books that ties into history that they would have heard of. Of course, they've heard of, you know, President Lincoln, but a lot of them may have heard of Sherman or the burning, you know, when Sherman burned his way to the Gulf of Mexico, things like that. But I think the interaction between people who are on the opposite sides of a conflict, every one of these books the people literally are, one is with, you know, favors the North, one favors the South. And they learn to find that common ground. And I think people find that so um, heartening to, to know that there can be common ground. Because even for kids, I think they understand there's a lot of conflict going on in this day and age, especially in the United States. There seems to be a divide between people. And I think it's more artificial than anything, because I think generally people are amazing and we all want to be friends and we all basically want the same things for ourselves and for our families. Uh, and so I think people are trying to create that divide, but I think kids would love to get rid of that and really embrace everyone. Yeah. I, I want to take some time and explore that concept of finding common ground because you're right now more than ever, our country seems divided. I say more than ever, maybe not. You're writing about the Civil War, uh, but can you, you referenced the movement to remove Civil War statues. So it strikes me that this is not only a timely topic to talk about the Civil War, but how do you address those kinds of very modern issues where people are offended that we might even have a Civil War statue? And now here you are writing a book where, you know, like you said, one side favors the South, one's the North, and you're trying to find the common ground. Going back to the statute issue, you can't just whitewash history. History is history, and we need to learn from this. And you can't erase everything. What? Where will those lessons have gone? They'll be erased too. And I think people need to see both sides. But our youth today are learning about history in a different way than maybe we used to learn about it. And they're reevaluating, re you know, even you know, what, what role did slavery really play in the Civil War? How are you able to address those very sensitive topics for a modern audience, especially a modern young audience that is very much getting a lot of information that is not flattering to the South, especially? The really interesting thing is every other chapter in my book is told from the male's perspective, our protagonist versus the female. So you're seeing the war front from either a soldier from the Union Army or from the Confederate Army. And you're seeing the home front from either a young lady who's supporting the Union Army or the Confederate Army. It's always the opposite, but it's every other chapter. So you're actually seeing and hearing the thoughts of this person who say, say they are a Confederate soldier or they are a Confederate 
sympathizer. But you're hearing their thoughts and their reasons for doing what they do and their reasons for believing what they believed. And I think it's more like you can relate to these people because they're just saying how they were raised and what values they were raised as. And then neither side is illustrated as monstrous or anything. Of course, there's bad people. There's bad apples in every demographic or what have you. But in essence, even the bad guys, they have a reason. And I try to give them a background so people can, even if you don't want to relate to them because they're not good people, but they have reasons for doing what they're doing like family things that have happened through the years or whatever. So that's, yeah, I think when people can see the conflict from two different sets of eyes, but you're in your head and you're seeing what they're seeing and you're going through what they're going through, it makes it a lot more real. And like, you could possibly picture yourself having done the same thing had you been in the same situation. And I think that's a great way to put it. You're putting them into somebody else's shoes to see, would you have done the same thing? When you hear from some of your readers, are they picking up on that theme, the idea that we're seeing things from two ends of a conflict, and especially when you're on the on the southern side and, and slavery is, you know, so front and center, are are they connecting with that? I think they are. People just really of all ages love the series and there's many different things, but so many people have gotten back to me. And I'm talking kids as young as, you know, eighth grade saying, oh my gosh, this is my favorite series ever or whatever. But they're just fascinated by learning stuff that they weren't ever taught and probably wouldn't ever learn if they hadn't been exposed to this. And even older people my age and such, or older, you know, I said people up in their 90s will read these books. They're just fascinated by not even just the history, the broad history, but just the little things, the day-to-day things that went on in their lives and, and how difficult life was living on a home front. And the fact there was actually war on the grounds of the United States. People can't even perceive that. It's so unbelievable. But literally, these battles would be on a church ground or in someone's field or in their backyard. So we're talking about finding common ground. And here you've got the two sides of the Civil War about as far apart from each other as they can be. Uh What are some of the themes that a young reader today, you know, reading your series and, and maybe even drawing some of the parallels to what they're seeing today and how divided we are? What what are some of the themes they can take away from your books on, you know, how do I find common ground with somebody who thinks very differently has perhaps even, you know, militaristically different values than I do. Yeah. Well, I think the number one thing is stop judging people. Okay. And let's actually have some conversation. And I'm not talking about social media conversations where people are just flinging things back and forth on these different social media platforms. I always tell people, regardless of how someone looks, they could be 180 degrees different than I am politically or that type of thing. I would sit down and have a cup of coffee with just about anybody. And I want to pick their brain and figure out, because if you sit down and talk with somebody and you start to compare, you're going to find out that the vast majority of these things in life, you agree on. We want a better life for our kids. We want to have a stable home life. We want to have, uh, you know, we want our kids to do better than we even did. And we want health and safety for our families. And we, we don't want conflict. I don't think anybody craves conflict unless it's for a financial gain. And that's a whole different story right there. But I, I think that instead of everybody hiding behind these computer screens let's actually get together and let's make it okay to have a conversation and okay 
to represent two different sides of, of whatever, a conflict, because I think that's kind of the problem that we're losing in this day and age is that some social media platforms will not allow any other views except one prescribed view to be talked about on their platforms. But there's always two sides to every story. There really is. So in your books, uh, can you relate any incidents in the books where the two sides actually do get to meet and find common ground? Well, that's how every one of the books is because in every book the male and the female are on the opposite sides and what happens in each book there is a situation where they need to put aside their differences and work together to either save their lives or to save someone else's lives and so every one of these couples is able to figure out how to do that and in the end they develop a respect for each other and realize that They have way more in common than they thought. As the books go on, like I said, they begin to respect each other, respect each other's opinions, grow to like each other, and then in the end, love each other. So you've got four books here now. Tell us just for each book, what is the title of the book and what is the couple? Because now you've referenced them a few times. The first book is A World Such as Heaven Intended, and we have Nathan and Amara. Um, The second book is Bridget and Dominic. So Bridget was Amara's best friend at boarding school. And Dominic was Nathan's ranching partner. They had bought a ranch in Texas. So then the third book is Josephine and Michael. So Michael is actually Amara's oldest brother who was missing in action. He's in a union prison in Washington, D.C. And Josephine ends up recognizing Michael because Michael was her brother's roommate's at West Point. And so she has this in her mind that she's going to help him escape from prison. So the fourth book is about Alice and Marshall. So Alice is actually enslaved, but she's a quadroon. So she's only one quarter African-American and three quarters Caucasian. She's trying to escape from the plantation where she's living. And every time she tries to do something, it's thwarted by this soldier she keeps running into time after time. And his name is Marshall. So how did you deal with some of the racial sensitivities that inevitably must have been on your mind as you were writing this story? Yeah, that's a good question. First three women in my first three books were all based on my own daughters. So I have three daughters. So my oldest daughter, Stephanie, was Amara was based on her personality. Then my middle daughter, Samantha, was Bridget. And then Josephine was based on my daughter, my youngest daughter, Elizabeth's personality. So for the fourth book, I actually have a a friend who's a a young mom. And um, she is biracial. And she actually filled out the personality questionnaire for me. And so I, I used her perspective create this character. Um, Everything she said was from her own perspective as an African-American. And so she had just a great perspective for me to write from. And yeah, as I wrote about it, you try to be as sensitive as you can, because some terms they used in that day to refer to people of other races would be very insensitive today. It just was how it was back in the day. And so you try to to get around that and not make it too in your face or something. But, you know, the feedback I'm getting from people of various races has been very, very positive. We did a pretty good job keeping it so that it was true to the time, yet sensitive to that particular subject. Part of it is interesting, too, because basically you end up with an African-American young lady and a Caucasian man, and they form a relationship, which is very complicated, as you can imagine, in the 1800s, but they figured out how to do it. That, That is remarkable. We're talking about finding common ground. So you've got, in today's environment, 
uh, where race seems again to be really pulling the country apart in some ways. You've you've got this beautiful story of people from two races in a time when you wouldn't expect it possible. Uh, what are some of the lessons that that you're really hoping uh, a young reader would take from this last book, especially on this race issue? Regardless what race we are, every human being has more things in common than they have differences. I truly believe that. And I believe 99% of the people in this world are just really nice people and they want to help other people and they want to be good citizens and good neighbors. So I would hope they would take that from there. And the fact that how you find the common ground, dialogue is really the answer speaking with people. And I don't mean talking from a computer and these arguments that go back and forth and people saying things they would never say in real life to a person. This is how this couple created their bond in the book. They actually had time because they were in situations where they were together for hours at a time and days at a time. And in that time, they just talked as two human beings. That's what we all are. I mean, we're all made in the image and likeness of God, right? And God loves all of us. And he doesn't love anyone better than anyone else. And he doesn't think anybody's better than anybody else. Why should we? If God doesn't judge us that way, why should we be judging people that way? I'm hoping that's the lesson they'll pick up from that is to communicate, to talk, and to not make assumptions and to stop judging other people. So what, what I find is really incredible of presenting this kind of story to our youth today is that, you know, we can't tell people nowadays, you can't tell kids like, hey, this is how you should act towards whoever, whoever, you know, they're, they're not going to respond to that. But if they read a story and they're watching the characters in that story sort of model that kind of openness to each other, I can only hope, you know, this type of fiction will lead them to do the same in their lives in some way. I think people see this book as a great conversation starter. We think it's bad in this day and age. People talk about the new civil war and say, no, this isn't a civil war. So it isn't nearly as bad in this day and age as it was back then because it was so divided. And I really do see that this book is a way to start this conversation and to bring more and more people together because it's such a beautiful thing. We have such a beautiful world. So as we're heading into our last few minutes, I know that anybody who's listening is probably thinking, wow, I really need to get these books for my kids. Talk a little bit about where they can find you and where they can find your books. To see everything that I've got out there, just go to amandalauer.com. So A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A-U-E-R.com. That's my website with all my books, all my projects, everything is on there. Otherwise, all the books are available on Amazon and Full Quiver Publishing. Well, Ellen Gable, her cash and her husband, James, her cash are amazing. Final words. If you had any parting words of advice to a parent or a youth leader about, you know, how do you get them to pick up a book and start reading when they could pick up their phone and go on YouTube instead, any advice to them? I would invite people just to read the first chapter of any one of my books. Kids like to see different things or read about different things that they aren't exposed to all the time. And, you know, first comes worse, you can bribe them. Back in the day, we did that with our kids. Like five bucks for every book you read or something that we approve. Does wonders. Now all of our, all four of our kids are avid, avid readers. <laughs> you know, I did not try that, but I, I kind of wish I had now that you say it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, we've been talking with Amanda Lauer, the award-winning author of the Heaven Intended Civil War series for teens and young adults. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show, helping us discuss common ground during a conflict such as the Civil War. Really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Appreciate you asking me to be part of your show, Tony. I really do.
In the entertainment review segment today, I review the book The Perfect Blindside by Leslie Wall, published by Pauline Books and Media. This book won several awards when it first came out, and it's no wonder. It's so well written, such a great read for teens, and something that parents would approve of also. It's a contemporary teen mystery that takes place largely in Colorado, but it really hits on the issues that we've been talking about today because it involves our two main characters, Jake and Sophie, who are learning to understand and to eventually even care for each other, even though they definitely come from very different lives and they have very different worldviews, especially at the beginning of the novel. What a great book for teens. Not only does it have some romance, it has teen drama, Jake, it turns out, is a celebrity of sorts. He has won a silver medal at the Olympics for snowboarding. And he's a bit full of himself throughout most of the book. Sophie, on the other hand, is a very strong teenage girl who has a definite Christian faith, even though she's a bit boy crazy. As Jake and Sophie get to know each other and even begin to like each other, uh, and you definitely get the impression it's a bit of a surprise, especially to Sophie, they wind up stumbling into a very interesting mystery where they have to figure out what is going on at a local abandoned silver mine, which appears to be somehow involved in some local crime. Leslie Wald does a really nice job with this story. She does something creative by alternating points of view in first person throughout the book. One chapter, Jake. One chapter, Sophie. Which I, as an author, know is very difficult to do. I've tried some of that myself, much less successfully than what Leslie Wall has done in this book. And it makes it really interesting because you can see from both characters' points of view how they are interpreting each other's actions, what they actually are thinking of each other versus what they say to each other. And it is an enlightening view into the teenage mind. Not to mention the fact that the mystery gets pretty intense as the book goes on and it becomes especially hard to put down in the last third of the book following our protagonists as they uncover this very dangerous mystery in their own local community. It's a great book for teenagers, especially because there is some definite romance. It's, it's a sweet romance, but the type of romance that would be more appropriate for kids in high school for sure. And it's gotten some great reviews by teenage readers who are thrilled to find a clean book, an interesting mystery, and that helps them to understand how they can meet each other and find common ground, no matter how different their childhoods, no matter how different their backgrounds, no matter how different they approach a problem. If they just take some time to understand each other, they can find some common ground and some understanding. Again, The Perfect Blindside by Leslie Wall. It's a great read, highly recommended for teenagers, and there's even a sequel, Extreme Blindside. That's all the time we have for the show today. I spoke with Amanda Lauer, the award-winning author of the Heaven Intended series of young adult novels set during the Civil War, to help illustrate for youth how we can find common ground even in the midst of conflict. And in the Entertainment Review segment, I reviewed Leslie Wall's award-winning novel, The Perfect Blindside. Again, this is Anthony Barone Kolank, and this has been The Shepherd's Pie. If any of you listening today have a question for me or a topic you'd like to have us cover on the show, please drop me a line on my website at antonycolank.com. 
That's A-N-T-O-N-Y-K-O-L-E-N-C.com. Also, if you visit my website, you can learn more about my historical fiction series for kids, The Harwood Mysteries. I'll end, as always, with my wife's favorite scripture quote from Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. May the Lord bless and keep you this week.